Hello, friends, and welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. Streaming bright from Michigan's capital city, this podcast is dedicated to helping you better understand the who, the what, and the why of mental performance, personal growth, and Lansing Stars baseball. Coach Cuts Corner, brought to you by iWash. In collaboration with Lansing Community College. And now here's your host, Stephen Cutter. Welcome back, or welcome to Coach Cuts Podcast. I am Stephen Cutter, and today I'm joined in studio by Noah Bright. Noah is a sophomore catcher for the Lansing Stars baseball team, and he just recently announced his commitment to further his education and baseball career at Division I Richmond University. Go Spiders! <laughs> welcome to the show, Noah. Thanks, Cut. Let's jump right in. Congratulations on your commitment. Thank you. What yeah. was that like? It was pretty sweet. Um, I, I went and visited, and I kind of made a quick decision. They sold me, that's for sure. They did their job. I think it's going to be a really good opportunity for me, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Excellent. So I want to talk to you today about mindset, failure, some lessons that you maybe learned along the way. Yeah. You know, not only at being an athlete, but as a student. And when you combine student-athlete, you need to juggle a whole lot of things. And oh, yeah. You want to be excellent. You need to be really, really good at juggling a lot of things. You do those things well. As we jump in here, I want to um, ask you, tell me what's written on your bathroom mirror. I have control what I can control written on my bathroom mirror right now. Why? Um, You know, it's definitely something we talk about a lot, controlling the controllables in every situation that you're given um, on the baseball field. It's probably most important because... You can't control the weather. You can't control the umpire. You can't control the other team. If you control what you can control, your effort, your attitude, all that stuff, um, you're bound to have success. And I think really realizing that has been a key in my success in every aspect of life. Just kind of letting go of the things that I can't control and really focusing on everything that I can't control. So I'm a big believer in that statement for sure. And then the opposite of it, do you feel that that really affects people if you're, oh, yeah. you know, because if you're oh, yeah. focused on how many bad drivers there are in the world, your reticular activating systems going off in your brain and you're finding bad drivers all over the place. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, if you, you think there's bad people, you're going to find bad people. Uh, For if, sure. if you buy a new car and it happens to be red, all of a sudden you start seeing all those red cars all over the place. So it's, it's somewhat of a law of attraction. Some ways good, yeah, and on the opposite side of it, some ways bad. Yeah, for sure. You committed to a Division One program out of high school. Yep. But you showed up and realized that it wasn't a good fit for you just personally. Yeah. Then you came to Lansing. Yeah. Why Lansing? You're not from here. Yeah, no. I'm from about an hour and a half away, Macomb, Michigan. You know, I I knew Lansing had had a good team the year before. I knew some kids on the team. And I knew I wanted to go the JUCO route. I was pretty sure of it, at least, because out of high school, I was pretty sure I was going to go JUCO. Um, I was really, yeah. I was either going to go to Tyler down in Texas, who had just won a national championship, or um, I was also talking. I went and visited uh, Central Florida, who is right now, as of like yesterday, the number one ranked Division One JUCO team. So you you like winners? Oh yeah, I like winning. <laughs> And that's what I definitely thought I was going to do. And then the Charleston Southern opportunity came about. 
But after realizing that wasn't the fit for me, you know, I knew LCC was a winning program. And obviously it was a new coach. You'd come in. I didn't know anything about the previous coach. I just knew kids that had played, you know, for LCC. So I called you, didn't answer, got a direct that, message on that's Twitter. That's normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Left, him, left a voicemail. And, you know, I just wanted to win. I wanted to have fun, win, and play. What have you learned about yourself in your time here at Lansing? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned was, you know, at CSU, I, I learned to hate baseball for a small period of time. I hated it. I dreaded going to practice. I look, I looked forward to hitting by myself more than I did going and doing stuff with a team. And I think the, the biggest thing that I learned here is how to have fun, how to love the game. And I'm super grateful for that because I wouldn't be as good as I am if I wasn't having fun. So I think that's my number one, without a doubt. Yeah, that's, I think with anything, you, you want to try to find enjoyment in what you do. Yeah. None of us are guaranteed really anything beyond this moment right here. Yep. And you, you kind of think a little bit. It makes you think you're still young enough. But think about when people work 30 years in a job and it's 30 years, whether it's Monday to Friday or whatever the schedule might be, but it's 30 years that they, they just hate. And, yeah. and if you're working 40 hours a week, think about how many hours of your lifetime that you're doing something that you hate yeah, um, or, sure. or just do not like at all. We talk a lot about just being passionate, you know, finding something that you can do that you're passionate about. And, and you definitely show on the field, you know, you're passionate about the game and you're passionate about your teammates and that passion bleeds over to others. Yeah. And that's what helps create really good cultures, also known as really good environments. Yeah, no doubt. I think a lot of it, you know, I've learned a lot of that from my family, too. Um, my dad has been a huge key in that. At his office, he has everything in there for his employees just to make work fun. He's got beanbags set up, you know, bags. Yeah. Cornhole. Are you good at bags? I'm pretty good. My dad thinks he's. Is it bags or is it cornhole? I call it bags. Okay. I think that's it might be cornhole. Whatever. I'm not sure. Um, he's got a. He's got a basketball hoop in the parking lot. Uh, he's got a golf simulator in there. Nice. Everything. Massage chair. He just bought a PlayStation 5. Sweet. You know, and I've, having fun has been a huge key for me. So I've kind of learned if you don't love what you're doing, then why do it? Right. So coming out of high school, as we circle back a little bit, you realize that the dream was Division One baseball. And I think that's most most oh, yeah. kids' dreams in whatever sport they might be playing. That's, that's their dream. And sometimes those come to fruition and sometimes they don't and they need to go other routes. But you realized it wasn't a good fit for you. Yeah. You came here. I think you definitely understand what a right fit is now. Oh, yeah. How do, how do you know that the next place you're going to Richmond, how do you know that's a good fit? How, how did you know that? Um, I think one of the biggest things that I was looking for was somewhere that wanted me. I wanted to be somewhere that wanted me there as much as I wanted to be there. And I didn't know that in high school. You know, I just got this opportunity out of nowhere and I took it. I couldn't do a visit or anything because of COVID. And they showed me that they wanted me like no school has ever shown me before. They paid for my flight. They paid for my hotel. They paid for all my food. I talked to the players, you know, it was just a super good experience. And, you know, I made sure I talked to the players about what it's like. I kind of decided like, yeah, I think this is going to be a good place for me to be for sure with everything that they're offering. 
So, so when will you when will you head down there? August, I think. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. not too focused on that, but yeah, like pretty August, ex- pretty exciting. Yeah. So tell me, as a student athlete, who we already say student athletes, no matter the sport, already abnormal yeah. because your schedule is abnormal. You know, it's not a nine to five. It's early mornings at times. It's late nights. It's long bus rides. It's it's doing schoolwork on a bus. It's doing schoolwork in an airport. It's 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 all those things. What does a typical day look like for Noah Bright? Yeah, um, I'd say I wake up about seven, seven thirty every day, sometimes earlier. It just depends on the day. You know, whenever I wake up, I wake up. So you don't set an alarm? Uh, I set a oh crap alarm, and that's about seven thirty. Okay, because uh, I think if I sleep in past seven thirty, something's wrong. I didn't get to bed on time or something, and I'm usually up before my alarm every day. And I wake up, I eat something, changes every day. You know, I like trout, I like Starbucks, or I'll cook some eggs on Marco's uh, griddle. Then I go lift. Usually, I come back, get ready for the day get some homework done. I I always like to do my homework in the morning. I'm not a, I don't like to push things off. Do you have a lot of homework? I did in the fall. I had 19 credits. Right now I'm wow, taking 15. that's incredible. Yeah, I took 19 credits in the fall. So that was a lot. So in the fall, I was super on top of my stuff. I was doing homework for hours in the morning. Right. And then we have practice around 1.30 to 2 every day. It changes. And I leave about... 11.45, get there at noon, get my extra stuff in before my mobility, extra receiving, whatever it is, you know, that I need to get in for that day. Go to practice after that, depending on how I feel for that day. If I get, felt like I got in my work, I'll stay. If I don't feel like, or if I did feel like I got in my work, I'll go back, get my recovery and I got the compression boots, Mark Pro, cupping, all that stuff. I actually have a Yeti cooler set up in my bathroom right now with ice in it and water. I've been waking up every morning and putting my, my ankles in it. So it's funny. I have a chair in that Yeti cooler in my bathroom right now. It looks kind of funky. But yeah. get my recovery in, eat, make sure I got all my stuff done for the day. Um, and I'm in bed by like 9 to sleep by like 9.30. Yeah. yeah. That's abnormal, right? And to be, to be uncommon or abnormal, you somewhat need to embrace it, love it, and chase yeah. after it. Yeah, for sure. At the time of this recording, we're getting ready to leave for our spring trip. Oh, yeah. Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Missouri. You know, as we earlier mentioned, we're going to spend over 45 plus hours on a bus over about 12 or 13 days. We're going to play some great nationally ranked teams, including Pearl River, Meridian, what are you most excited about about the spring trip this year? I'm excited for just being with the guys and playing the best players in the country. You know, I'm excited about the competition. You know, I'm not a fan of playing John Smith from whatever college. I want to play the guys, you know. What about I just the, want to compete. What about the facilities? Oh, they're sweet. Pro River's got a really nice field. Meridian Stadium's sweet. I remember last year, the home runs, the blinking lights. You know, they got some cool stuff. It's no doubt. Yeah. Um, so it's always fun to play at places like that, for sure. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the competition. I'm excited about you know just being with the guys for 12 days or whatever it is, something like that. 
but you're with the guys seven days a week anyway. So what's yeah. the, what's the difference? Sleeping with them, I guess. <laughs> Sleeping with them, yeah, right next to them on a bed. What's mm. what's your greatest memory here with the stars? What's what sticks out to you? Uh, Enid last year, easily. Um, Why? We beat Kellogg in the second game of the series to go to Enid. Don't even remember the score. We whooped them. Okay, it was like seventeen, right? We were scored like seventeen to eight or something like that. I, I'm where my feet are. Yeah, I'm I have present. No idea. So. I have no idea. Um, then we went to Enid, which that was our goal all year, you know, go to Enid. And it was the coolest atmosphere I've ever played in. The Pearl River game was electric. It was my birthday, May 30th, 2022. We played at like 11 o'clock at night. The game started super late. So it was right. a night it was, game. It was a weather delay. It was supposed to kick yeah. off at like eight. It was on Memorial Day, I believe. Yep, Memorial Day. And they had a big celebration, a huge flag that was, you know, oh, yeah. covered the field and had, the, I think they honored an umpire. Yeah, the and, you umpire know, just, that. just did a lot of stuff. And then whether it was weather, the games yeah. before or whatever, but a game that was supposed to start at 8 doesn't end up starting till about 11 o'clock at night, yeah. which that's a huge thing too. because, oh, yeah. And that's probably why that's a memory to you because it was different. You know, oh, yeah. I think we showed up and then we laughed and we, you know, we had to figure some stuff out. It wasn't the, the usual, but yeah. Enid is different. And there's a reason why they've hosted the College World Series Division Two Junior College Baseball for quite a number of years now. It's different. The city embraces the baseball teams oh, yeah. that come there. It's it's like the only thing that's happening that week for right. the yeah. city. It's, it's everyone def- comes. Definitely the city one shuts of the, down the bigger things in the city. So, yeah. It was really cool. And I remember, um, you know, the, the little travel team, the 11, that we, we were with the whole time. We got to do some stuff with them. That was really cool. You know, went to that game place where we threw the stars and the axes and stuff. And that was cool. Played dodgeball with them. Opposite-handed, of course. Yeah, opposite-handed. I do remember that. Yeah. When was the last time you cried? Um, about, what's this? What are we? end of February but I'd say actually like a month ago um my dad was having some health issues um and I wasn't really I didn't know what was going to happen um he called me crying actually in the middle of leadership one day um and I was like holy crap I think I've seen my dad cry one time Okay. It was, when it was we, probably an animal, right? Yeah, it was when we put my, my dog <laughs> right. down. Yeah. Um, and I, I couldn't, I was like, holy crap, something's wrong. He told me he's going to have surgery. Um, and after leadership, I bolted home and I sat in the parking lot of the emergency room for hour, like a couple hours because they wouldn't let me in because my mom was in there and you can only have one guest. Um, and I got a call from my mom and said, they're not doing the surgery. I was like, what, what the heck? Um, but, you know, everything's good now. He's back to normal. Good. So, yeah, that was the last time I cried. Which, before that, I couldn't tell you. Actually, before that, it was when I transferred. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So wow. I think Jim Valvano, the late, great Jim Valvano, Jimmy V, used to say, you know, if you can have a day where where you laugh and, and you cry and you, you know, show emotion and show appreciation, you know, that that's a good day. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a really good day. Yeah, I'm an emotional person, that's for sure. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. I am too. So what makes 
what makes LCC so special? What is it? If you could put your finger on on it, which is pretty hard to do, yeah. I believe. Yeah, but, but you can't really, I feel like you can't totally describe it if you're not a part of it. You can't, you know, just put it in words. But I think the best description I'd say is our team is so special and so uncommon and it's unlike any other team I've ever been a part of. I've never felt closer to a group of guys than I have here. You know, it was like I came here, I transferred, and I was immediately, like, welcomed by everyone. That was not the case where I was at before. Definitely not. You know, I was a freshman. You the 24-year-old seniors. Oh, you're a freshman. Whatever. But it it's it's such a loving group. You know, we all love each other. And I think that bond is what makes us so successful. You know, when one person's down, another person's picking them up. When that person's down, the other person's picking them up. And it it has taught me what a true team looks like. I don't know if I'll ever be a part of a team that works in the same way. You know, we went to Enid last year with 29 guys. 27. Yeah, 27. Mm-hmm. And that's that doesn't say exactly what I'm saying, then I don't know what does because – forever had what 45 right. which we have now but right. i mean that it just shows it's a true brotherhood you know and you know maybe we didn't have the most talent last year but we all picked each other up and we all played for each other and that's what made us so successful last year and i think we have even more of it this year and then you take our campus yeah it's unreal it we're is. a junior college it, it's, I mean, it's pretty crazy it's nicer than my old campus for sure and then you take our home field muni yeah now we're we're on a 53 game road trip before we get to open up with a home game so you know 28 in the fall and then all the stuff that we're doing in the spring and then you know obviously postseason stuff last year it's been a long time since we played a home game there yeah but muni's special too there's a lot of history yeah a ton of history at the field and i think that's what makes us so cool that we're able to play there is because, you know, you go around the town of East Lansing, Lansing, everyone knows what Muni is because there's so many games played there. You do, you, know? do you ever work on the field at Muni? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've done our fair share of stuff there for sure. We've turned we've turned that place into being a pretty sweet field. Um, we rebuilt the dugouts, the the lines we do all the time, uh, the cutouts at first and third. The infield the, surface, yep, I mean, the inf- yeah, you everything. guys, you guys have everything. definitely done a lot. Yeah, a so. ton of stuff, which is cool. Well, I think that's going to be a wrap. Thank you, Noah, for coming in today. I enjoyed our time. I hope yeah. you enjoyed yourself. For and sure. And go Stars. Yeah, go Stars. Thanks, Scott. Coach Cut's Corner is recorded live in the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalian Lowry. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us on all the platforms of social media. You can find more about our program at lccstars.com. And donations to our baseball program can be made at the same site. See you next time. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage.
Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Cesar Chavez Learning Center's Access Program at Lansing Community College creates a community on campus for underrepresented students, providing them with a support network and multiple layers of academic, social, and professional experiences. Access also incorporates workshops and resources that assist in educational and career advancement. To find out more about Access, visit lcc.edu and search Access Program. This is a public service announcement test from TakeMeFishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water. Let's begin. Are you a bear? Do you have a beak? Does your name rhyme with old beagle? Do you dart in front of cars? Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? Do you have fur? I'm not talking back hair. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree certificate or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. Every year, thousands of vacationers enjoy staying at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. The Grand is not only a favorite vacation hotel, but has also served as the setting for two motion pictures, this time for keeps and somewhere in time. The Grand Hotel was built in 1887 as a summer resort hotel. Three transportation companies created a subsidiary organization called the Mackinac Island Hotel Company to build the Grand Hotel. The three firms, the Michigan Central Railroad, the Grand Rapids and Indiana Railroad, and the Detroit and Cleveland Steam Navigation Company, wanted a resort destination to attract tourists and fair-paying customers to northern Michigan. Detroit architects George Mason and Zachariah Rice designed the Grand Hotel. Contractor Charles Caskey built the gigantic structure in less than four months, using two million board feet of white pine lumber milled in St. Ignace. Originally called Plank's Grand Hotel for its first manager, John Plank, it opened on July 10, 1887. 
The first movie filmed at the Grand was a musical romance titled This Time for Keeps. Filmed in 1946 and released in October 1947, the picture starred Esther Williams, Jimmy Durante, and Johnny Johnston. The plot revolved around Johnston's character, a recently returned soldier who wanted to make a career of popular music. He introduces himself to an aquatic ballet dancer, played by Esther Williams, whom he met during the war. Romance ensues. This Time for Keeps was filmed at both the MGM Studios in California and at the Grand Hotel. It was one of several aqua musicals that starred swimming champion Esther Williams. The swimming pool at the Grand is named in her honor. The movie industry returned to the Grand Hotel in 1979 for Somewhere in Time. The science fiction drama starred Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, and Christopher Plummer. In the movie, Reeve's character travels back in time to meet a young woman, played by Jane Seymour, whose vintage portrait he saw hanging on the wall in the hotel. Somewhere in Time opened in theaters in October 1980. Although the movie was not an instant commercial success, it developed an enormous following among fans. Every year, the Grand Hotel hosts a Somewhere in Time weekend, with a special screening of the movie, appearances by some of the cast and crew, and other celebratory activities. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. May 5th and 6th at the Black Box Theater, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Sketchbook, a play written by Mark Harvey Levine. This play features short scenes about love, family, and relationships as performed by students completing beginning studio theater. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. We are the NFHS. That stands for the National Federation of State High School Associations. But really, what we stand for, together with the MHSAA, are the 292,000 high school sports students in Michigan. And so we stand. We stand for the runners, soccer, and basketball players. We stand for their coaches, administrators, and officials. We stand for the swimmers, football players, and wrestlers. We stand for the golfers, softball, and volleyball players. We stand as the national leader and advocate for high school athletics and all who participate in them and make them possible. Because it is our purpose to ensure that high school students get to play, perform, and compete together. To learn more about who we are and what we stand for, visit nfhs.org. 
LCC Connect is looking for Lansing Community College students to vibe with us. Join us for the Podcast Power-Up Contest with the chance to host a podcast radio show on 89.7 FM. We'll be taking Power-Up submissions through the end of summer. Details at lcc.edu slash power-up. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu slash scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Melissa Ford-Locken. Rosalie Petrowski. Susan, Seraph, and Jess, editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. Expect the unexpected as our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to to Lansing. Lansing. Hello, this is Susan Serafin Jess, poetry editor of Washington Square Review. Today, I am joined by one of our contributors. His name is Bo Brockett. Bo has spent his life in small Michigan towns before moving to Lansing two summers ago. He works for a nonprofit by day and occasionally writes by night. We chose happily three of his poems for our latest volume, 2022 Summer Edition, and he's here today to read those poems. So I'd like to introduce you to Bo Brockett. Welcome, Bo. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Let me ask you a little bit about that brief bio. You spent your life in small Michigan towns before moving to Lansing. Tell me which small Michigan towns you lived in, please. Yeah, so I spent most of my life kind of like on the cusp between Metro Detroit and the thumb of Michigan, kind of in this in-betweener zone I'm in a city called Richmond, Michigan. It's where my mom grew up. It's where her grandpa grew up. So very generational. It's about a city of 6,000 people. And then during college, I went to Albion College in Albion, Michigan, and moved on to a larger city of 8,000 people. (laughs) Um, And then I moved on to Niles right afterward to be a reporter. And Niles is a city in southwest Michigan, about 10 to 12,000 people there. So it's been a series of small towns up until my move to Lansing. It definitely feels like a big city, you know, journey for me right now. So with each successive town, you moved up a couple of thousand people in population, and now you're in Lansing. I forget the population of Lansing, but I know it's several hundred thousand, I believe. I might have that wrong. I believe in the metro area, a couple hundred thousand people. I think in the city proper, it's about 112, 115, if I remember right. So was it culture shock for you? In some ways, yes. It was shocking in positive ways. Um, Cities like Niles, Albion, Richmond, they all have larger cities, larger metro areas close by. But to be in the center of one was really nice. I was able to enjoy so much more food, different types of food than I had before, different stores, different people than I ever had before. And that was really fun. But also just a bit of a culture shock with the job that I had as a reporter. And then beforehand, just being in very, very small towns, you kind of get to know everyone quickly. And in Lansing, it takes a little bit longer to find kind of find your crew, find the people Mm -hmm. that you enjoy being around with. I mean, you're always meeting new people too. So culture shocks in both good and 
maybe not bad ways, but ways that just take a little while to adapt to. I see. Yes. So it also says in your brief bio that you work for a nonprofit. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So for the past three years, I've worked for the Michigan Environmental Council. We're a nonprofit that really focuses on environmental advocacy at the Capitol, so to speak. So we work on educating and advocating with lawmakers, with different departments um, at the state, with the governor's office, to make sure that the people of Michigan and the places that they love are properly protected. And so my role is kind of conveying all the things that my organization is doing to the public and making sure that the public and their voice is heard in the decisions that we were advocating for. You also say that you occasionally write by night, and I'm wondering how occasionally do you manage to write even though you have a day job? Yeah, yeah, it comes in waves. It's a bit of a struggle, I think, especially being a communications worker, where I spend all day staring at a screen, usually writing, to then kind of transition at night and have the energy and, and motivation to then, you know, like write creatively. I think the writing process for me from like a poetry standpoint definitely comes in waves. I'll kind of hit my streak and maybe write for three or four nights in a row. And whereas, you know, at other times I'm kind of taking like a week or two break from it because I just need time to, to watch my TV shows, to do my chores, you know, at, at night. So this all sounds very familiar to me. I teach comp one. So I spend most of my days reading essays and I have usually about 90 students every semester and they write three 1,000 word essays. So anyway, you can do the math. I've spent a lot of time reading other people's writing and sometimes I'm too tired to tend to my own. Mm-hmm. But I'm like you, I prefer to immerse myself in it. You call it waves, I call it immersion. I know some people swear by writing every day, but I just, I don't know, I have to be able to see some many, many hours, if not days, where I'm free to write. Well, the three poems that appear in Washington Square Review are Perishables, and the second one is called Imagining Lying Next to Someone, and the third is Minecraft Bohemia. And I wonder if you would start by reading the first poem, Perishables. Yeah, happy to. Perishables. Mom and Dad wiped down bananas with Clorox. Remember that? And I swear, they'd carry the bunches in like a biologist holds a wounded bird. Grocery stores were sites of terror, and so many of us were armed like surgeons. Bananas were scrubbed, banana pudding quarantined in the trunk for three days, anesthetized produce awoke to masked people carting them. And remember one year later when a maskless woman blew on the library desk plexiglass, drew a heart in her spit, and kissed it? So many of us were dead. We had entered the new, new normal then, the same as it ever was, but vehemently patriotic, broke open and hot like a melting rocket pop. Remember when that stranger said he wanted all Muslims dead to Grandpa, and how just prior it's so hard to remember order the grocery store was shot up in Boulder? I keep thinking, before the remaining frontline workers, days later, carted the food out of that mausoleum, Were the bananas background-checked for the virus, bullets? There is a way a banana's musk haunts. Not quite a memory, no. A memory just unformed. A future memory. A portent of death. In Boulder, people weaved flowers onto grocery store gates. I want to destroy bananas. 
I want to bash bananas against the countertop corner until their skins break, to mash them into oblivion, to freeze them scentless. I want to make banana bread out of all this. Then I want to slouch like a tea bag inside a cup, look up at its precipice and wait to be steeped, watered down, a deconcentrate. I sent you an email and said that I think of this poem as an artifact. It's an artifact of a time in history. And I know that when the pandemic first started, one of the first things I did was I started reading about the 1918 influenza and ended up reading a very short novel called Pale Horse, Pale Rider. And I think that it's important for people to write poems about a big, catastrophic, historic moment like this. And you have, although you also weave in a couple of other mass shooting is referred to in this poem, and also, I believe, uh, 9-11, or at least a response of Islamophobia. So please tell me about the genesis of this poem. Yeah. You know, I never thought I would be the sort of poet to write in response to like big events or big like societal shifts. Not because I don't enjoy those poems. I really do. I just didn't feel like I was the right person or, or had that inspiration to respond But during the pandemic, I lived at home with my family. We were very, very cautious. So we were very much cooped up, just very aware of the virus that was happening. And then just layered on top of these, all these precautions that we were taking were also just these things that our neighbors were saying, that people in our community were saying that were just so violent and just so absurd in how aggressive they were. And of course, you know, there was mass shootings that were happening in tandem and just a lot of hatred going around. And so all of these different societal impacts were just kind of fomenting (laughs) in my mind, I guess. And I just felt the need to to just put it all down on paper. And so I did. And when I look back at this poem now, it it feels a bit like jumbled in some ways because I feel like I'm referring to so much at once. But I feel like, you know, now that I have that retrospect after writing the poem, it feels like that was just my mind at the time. There was just so much happening all at once from this grand national scale that trying to piece it together was was tough. It's disorienting. Mm -hmm. And it was terrifying at first because we really didn't know what was happening. That's why we were spraying our groceries. Mm -hmm. I remember doing the same thing with bleach on all of my groceries. And then it didn't take too long before they said, you really don't need to do that. But we didn't know. My sister lives in New York City. And it was, of course, far worse there than it was here. And she had... In April of that year, she had a student who lost 10 family members. Mm. So we were all just doing whatever we could to keep ourselves safe. And now looking back, yes, it does seem absurd. So I like the blend of the tragic and the absurd here. And I think the absurdity comes in with the bananas. And I noted that bananas, that's a slang for crazy. And I wondered if that played a part in your choosing bananas as opposed to some other produce or or food stuff? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think it did. Um, I think bananas, you know, honestly, was just the initial image I had, like looking back like a year into the pandemic of like the foods that we washed down. For some reason, the image of the banana was in my head. And then I wanted to kind of write a response to that or use that as the starting point for my poem. And yeah, and then like the uh, the connotation for the word bananas as like a word for crazy or nuts came into play. So I thought, well, this is a perfect thing to kind of cling on to in the poem. Sure. And then the title also has a double meaning, perishables, because we became perishables at that time too, the word perish. 
uh, we were confronted with our mortality. One of the things I did with the first stimulus check that we received was I bought a headstone mm-hmm. and made those arrangements. Mm-hmm. Because before that, I never really thought about my mortality very much. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm glad you did decide to write a topical poem. But your next two poems are more, well, I think they're both love poems. And they're, they're less topical. They're more universal. So the shift in tone is, is very interesting to me. I admire the range. Thank you. <laughs> so could you please read Imagining Lying Next to Someone? Sure. Imagining Lying Next to Someone. Silence would fall like night snow. The end of the bed's plateau, a comfortable lining between sheets and strange gray shadows, and along the open window, a congregation of snow, an ephemeral stacking that brings in the world to this room, this moment, the bed creaking while you, sleeping, turn toward me. I think that's a lovely poem. And something I admire about it is the effect of silence. You know, poets, we try to find the right words to achieve a certain effect. And it might be a musical effect. It might be an oral, Mm A-U-R-A-L, effect. And here you have achieved the effect of silence, which begins with the word silence would fall like light snow. And then it seems to me that silence falls upon the poem until we get down to almost the end. This is 14 lines, the 12th line, then the bed creaks. Mm -hmm. And because uh, the lover is turning towards you, sleeping. However, I noticed that the first word in the poem is imagining. And so I wondered if this was a poem more of yearning or desire rather than a photograph of a moment. I think that's spot on right there, yes. I think when I initially wrote this poem, I might have had a person in mind, but this is, of course, an imagination, something that came up. It wasn't a, a real event that happened. I think that came from a sense of kind of yearning to be in love, like being in love with the idea of being in love, mm-hmm. um, but not having someone to attach that to. And part of that was just the reality of where I was at at the moment. But I think it also, um, this poem, I think also speaks to, I think, just some struggles that I've had, and I'm sure other folks have had too, where you know, it's a little bit scary sometimes to go into a relationship or to start dating someone. And sometimes it's better just to have an ideal image of what that could be in your head. Making that jump or making that commitment can be a little scary. So this poem was kind of meant to be like, uh, I guess, a response to that, to say, here's this wonderful world that I can create for myself and live in it, both as something maybe that's, that's a positive thing to do, but also maybe a negative thing to do too. I agree that relationships are terrifying. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Well, there might be some lucky people. Since I, too, am a poet, I noticed how you repeated the sound O. Shadow, snow, plateau, window. And Edgar Allan Poe said that there were two vowel sounds that poets should repeat in their poetry. One was oo and one was o. So whether you knew it or not, Uh, you were following Mr. Poe's advice. There we go. I did notice as I read this out loud that it definitely slowed me down when I I was reading. And I think that allowed the musical effect to kind of build out a little bit. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. So I think the next poem is a love poem as well, although it's a little more complicated than imagining lying next to someone. This one is called Minecraft Bohemia. And when I saw the title at first, I thought, am I going to feel like I'm in an arcade (laughs) when I read this? But it turns out not to be about the game Minecraft or I don't know, maybe why don't you read it and then we'll talk about the title when you're done. (laughs) That sounds great. Minecraft Bohemia. I chop wood. I shear wool. I grow wheat and I make bread. I've built small homes around this world. I'm mapping step by cautious step. My homes are simple, tucked among oak, sand, and mesa. Each has enough room for two beds. Each has a small crop, a flower patch, a bookshelf. It's strange. I woke up unable to place anything near me as familiar. But I learned so much. I would touch a bone or a web and know what to make of it. I tried to show the villagers this in the town I spent my first night in. They sighed and stared and moved around. They already had everything. Crops, swords, families, inner peace. I can't understand them. I'm alone, and I don't know if there are others. Water, food, shelter, hard work, pretty flowers. It's a good life, but there are many moments when despair and yearning spill like ink from a squid, where I want to share this world, to share this life with someone else. But I don't know the right recipe. There's nothing to touch and understand. But I have this book I write to you in on each home's shelf. Please, if you want companionship, light the jack-o'-lantern at the front door. I'll answer. Thank you. Tell me about the title, please. Yeah. So this poem came about from my time in Niles, Michigan, far southwest corner. Again, population of about 10,000 people and came there right after college and just struggled to kind of find my place in the community, to find friends, people to hang out with. And so it took me to moving back into my family's house in Richmond once the pandemic set in to realize that one reason why I was feeling a little burned out, feeling a little sad, I think, in Niles was because I just was feeling a little bit lonely. And so this poem kind of came in response. And then the the theme of Minecraft came about because my brother and I would play Minecraft <laughs> during the pandemic. And in the video game, you you if you play it in a certain mode, you start off with absolutely nothing. You're like in the middle of a vast wilderness and you have to find your way you know, around, find a way to survive by building tools, by building shelter. Um, So it's a very lonely experience to start out in. And, um, you know, you come across other creatures, you come across other people, but they don't speak your language. They don't interact too much with you. So unless you're playing with other people, it's kind of a lonely game if if you really start to think about it. Aha, well, this is where my video game illiteracy may have caused me to misinterpret the poem. But, you know, once your poem is out in the world, people will interpret it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm reading, I chop wood, I shear wool, I grow wheat, and I make bread. And I'm thinking Thoreau at Walden Pond. I'm I'm thinking of somebody who is um, self-sufficient, kind of living off the grid, perhaps has all these survival skills. But now I'm hearing you tell me that that's part of playing Minecraft is you're also doing those things in Minecraft. Yeah. And, and really, now that you've mentioned it, maybe there are some throw influences in the Minecraft game itself. So, Golly. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. So this poem also, to me, seems to 
pivot at a certain point where it seems self-sufficiency, the speaker is, is very busy and has, has many uh, abilities, and yet wakes up unable to place anything near him as familiar. And then he tries to communicate with the villagers, but they don't communicate at all. They just sigh and stare. And they already have everything anyway, so they don't need you. But they do have something you don't have, which is inner peace. It almost seems dreamlike to me. Like, you know, sometimes in a dream you can't talk or other people Mm. can't talk, but you still have this strong emotional feeling of being shunned or rejected. So tell me a little bit about the villagers, what they represent to you. Yeah, yeah. I think the villagers... Uh, and like the village that they're in represents, uh, at least putting it into the context of my life at that moment, just like the city of Annapolis itself, right? There was definitely no animosity toward me whatsoever. As a reporter, I had a great experience talking with everyone, but in a city like Niles, in a small town, your community is kind of already set up and built. And when you come in as a young guy into that city, which is, you know, like very family oriented, there's not a lot of people my age in that area. Um, it's tough to like, to fit in and understand how like all the dynamics of, making friends and, and finding people to be with works out. Yeah. In the the villagers, I really try to make, to the best of my ability, a, a replica of how they are in the game. They're not really speaking in full words. They have like these full villages with lots of crops and big buildings already set up, which was kind of meant to reflect the community already being built up that I went into. I should have done my Minecraft homework. No, no. (laughs) I'm learning. I'm learning. It's good to learn about video games because my students play video games. Oh, there you go. Yeah. In fact, we have a a reading in our anthology called Taliban, which is written by Benjamin Bush, who is somebody who I didn't realize he's an actor. He had been in The Wire, which impressed Mm. me, but he's also a warrior and he fought in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And now he has volunteered and is fighting in Ukraine. Anyway, the essay is about um, a game called Medal of Honor, which really angered him because the game came out when the war in Afghanistan was ongoing. And you could play the Taliban for a while, then the company changed it. And also he felt it was disrespectful that people could just win Medals of Honor when over the whole war in Afghanistan, only eight people were awarded a Medal of Honor, seven of them posthumously. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. so it's always good for me to learn more about video games. Also, to me, this, again, seemed to bring in some of that that yearning that I saw in the previous poem. But it's interesting because although the poem is a bit of an in- invitation to love or friendship, I mean, after all, these houses do have two beds, uh, just like a good old 1950 sitcom, <laughs> <laughs> there are two beds. But at the end, you say, please, if you want companionship, light the jack-o'-lantern at the front door. I'll answer. So you're wanting an invitation. Yeah, I think so. And yes, and I think in the context of the game, again, I, I was thinking about, well, if I'm a person that appears with not much knowledge in the middle of nowhere, there's got to be someone else in a similar boat to me. And so they must want that, too. So it's a bit of a, it's, you're right, it's a, bit, it, it's a bit of a weird situation where I want the invitation but I also want to invite people at the same time. Yes. Well, it's always nice if they make the first move, then you're sure that you're wanted. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for reading these poems. 
Yeah, and thank you for for the perspectives on, especially on the Minecraft Bohemia poem. I'm sure it's all wrong, but no. anyway, I even, well, I'll, in the interest of full disclosure, I even wrote down Frankenstein, Christ, because of the villagers and <laughs> the person being misunderstood. So you can see my mind likes to free associate. Well, I, I am glad you, you saw a lot of value and really everything we talked about was what I was hoping, you know, to, to convey in the poem too. You just came at it in, in a different way. So it's very nice for me to hear knowing that folks who don't play Minecraft can, can still <laughs> make some sense out of it, you know, so. It's fascinating, isn't it? What people will read into your poems. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess we can wrap this conversation up and thank you so much for sharing your poems. Do you have any future plans for your poetry? You know, that's that. It's at a stage right now where I'm I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with some more poems. I have a pretty decent repertoire of poems that I feel like are, are ready to go into the world. It's just a matter of what I want to do with them. I think the one thing I do want to do is I don't want to try to publish willy nilly across like all the different sorts of journals out there. I kind of want to do what I did with Washington Square Review. Like I submitted at a time when I was really loving my time in Lansing. I still do. I chose this publication to submit to because it meant a lot to me to see that there was a local publication out there. So I think in whatever form my writing takes me, I want to keep up that sort of like spirit or ethos. That's good. Well, you know, a book is usually about 45 poems. So if you've got 45, you might think about putting a book together too. That's true. Not quite there yet, but, okay. but getting close. Yeah, okay. getting close. All right. Well, Bo Brockett, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air. Where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's literary journal, The Washington Square Review. A publication featuring writers in the Great Lakes State, across the nation, and around the world. To find out more about the Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu slash WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Sunday, May 7th at Okemos Community Church, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents a live performance by the LCC Concert Choir and the Vocal Jazz and Pop Ensemble. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash showinfo. With everything you've done to lift up those around you during your military career, we're not going to let your money concerns get you down. We're the NFCC, and we've got your back on this one. As your financial advocate, we're dedicated to improving the financial health of all members of the military community. Whether your debt issues are related to student loans or housing or involve credit cards, our goal is to help you to defend your financial future. NFCC certified credit counselors have already made the difference for thousands of military members and their families. Let us make a difference for you and yours. Schedule a confidential financial review with an objective nonprofit NFCC financial counselor. Call us today at 877-404-6322. That's 877-404-6322. Or visit us at nfcc.org slash military. You owe it to yourself. 
get relief now. Thank you for listening to LCC Connect. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I host a show called The Safety Plan. The Safety Plan is about the latest cyber scams and how to avoid them. You can catch The Safety Plan here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. The Job Training Center at Lansing Community College provides two-month job training opportunities that are free to eligible participants. Training courses range from information technology to administrative assisting. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash jtctraining. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. It's time. Another edition of Equity. Equity is a play on words spelled E-Q-U-I dash T-E-A. Why? Because I just love sharing a good cup of tea. Equity is designed to provide you with tips on issues surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion to enhance your everyday life. Today on Equity, we're going to be talking about a phrase, calling in versus calling out. I'll say it again, calling in versus calling out. And what does that look like in real time? So the phrase calling in is something that might be new to you as a listener. It's often used as a time of empowering, affirming, or a sincere understanding to another person's perspective. We all know about calling out when we hear something disruptive and we hear something that we don't like, a microaggression or more. Calling out is more of a disempowering, debating, pushing away and not respecting points of view. So today on Equity, I want to give you a few tips on why it's important to follow the call in versus the call out. The first tip and reason why this is important is because calling in develops a culture where people can have their voice and their input. It's also an opportunity to share empowering ways of decision making and giving constraints for those that have superior roles. Lastly, it creates a foundation of trust. I'm going to say that again. It creates a foundation of trust and holds each person in high regard. So when you call in versus calling out, you are also doing some great work when it comes to listening. Here are a few ways to cultivate the calling in culture. Number one, have self-accountability. Regulate yourself before you say something. Think, is this going to be uplifting? Is this empowering? Is this the right time to say what I'm about to say? Self-accountability is the first rule in developing a call-in culture. Two more quick notes and then we are out of your hair. Do your homework. Make sure that you are recognizing the power structures in the room or in the conversation and how you deliver your messaging really does matter. Lastly, consider everyone's cultural influence. When you begin to speak up and when you begin to call folks in, recognize where they're coming from. It's always good to be nice, but it's even better to show kindness. So these are just a few tips on how you can call in versus calling out. Now go ahead and grab your favorite cup of tea and take a sip on all of these great tips. This has been another edition of Equa Tea. We'll see you next time. 
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.